Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so we are live. Welcome to episode number 23. My name is Tom Dalton. Uh, You're listening to the Making It Happen podcast. I'm delighted to say uh, this episode, we're joined by Joe Doyle. So Joe started his career as a bricklayer and is now a successful property investor and Ireland's number one business mentor for the construction sector. So just to give you an idea of Joe's background, Joe's uh, mentorship business provides support and mentorship for tradesmen and construction company owners with over 200 clients. In the property business, he specializes in buying houses all around West Dublin and renting them to tenants on the HAP, is it HAP? HAP, yeah. HAP, and Joe's current portfolio is valued around 11 million. So I don't want to understate that, that's a pretty big number. So Joe, welcome to Making It Happen. Thank you for having me, Tom. Pleasure to chat with yourself on this fine day. Brilliant, yeah, I know, the sun's beaming outside. But um, So Joe, what we normally do starting off, just to get a bit of a background, I suppose, when you were growing up, what was your childhood like? You're, you're at the mention you're a bricklayer. Was it always an idea to go in and get a trade? Yeah, so when I was growing up there, um, my, my old lad was a, a, a kind of a very small builder. He had a few lads working for him, you know? And there was always construction happening in, in, in my household since I was a kid, you know, kind of little bits on and off, on and off, you know? And... and as I got a little bit older then, I, I worked with my dad in his building company. And it was just, you know, the highest aspiration I had was to become a bricklayer, you know. So I knew I was going to become a bricklayer from I was like 13 or 14. I said, the minute I get to the age, I'm just going to leave school and become a bricklayer. And, and that's really what happened. That was it, you know. And Joe, was it like, was it boom times then? Was it good cash or was it a tough trade? Uh, I was a mad old setup. Like um, I do, always say to people, like I learned, I learned everything I know about business from my father. You know, um, I just looked at the way he ran his business and decided that's not the way to run a business. You know, and uh, he knows that. And I, I don't mean that in any way disrespectful to him, but it was a, it was a weird old system of operating he had. It was like there was a lot of casual labour and little odd jobs here and there. It wasn't really a, you know, a, it wasn't run as a business as such. You know, um, it was more like a group of lads just came together and they do little bits of building work here and there and then they do a couple of houses and stuff like that um but uh it was it was a very volatile time business wise you know from what i remember and that there was long periods of no money coming in and uh it was also every every week there was like there was hassle and there was running around for to get money for wages and stuff like that it was it was a mad out setup but as I, I often think back at it, it was a great bit of camaraderie between the old lad and the, the fellas he had working for him. And then there was myself and a couple of my buddies used to work for, for me dad every minute we got, you know. So weekends, bank holidays, school holidays. From the age of like 12, 13, 14 up, we were always going and doing little bits and bobs, you know. And uh, it was definitely interesting times. We often think back about how, how good it was, you know. Uh, you weren't really focused on the on the money, you were just focused on having something to do, which was filling a skip, carrying blocks, all that sort of stuff, you know? And that's what we done, and it was great time, and it was. And Joe, was there a spark or something where you like, I 
see a business opportunity here, I can get off the bricks or I just need to put structure. How did that come about? So I, I used to see how the business was ran and I'm like, that's not the way you should do things. You know, that's not right. That's who was I? I was like a 16 year old kid at this stage, like making observations and passing comments about grown men, people who are uh, in the building game all their life. But I just seen things weren't, you know, I just knew they weren't the way they should be ran, you know? And, uh, you know, then like as time goes on, I kind of unofficially started to, to assume a lot of responsibility within that business because people would ask me questions. So grown men would be asking me, what do you think we should do with this? I'm like, well, I don't fucking know what you ask me, you know? But it, it, obviously I had a flair for it. Or I, was a, I was a voice of reason in, in the midst of a, a, a bit of chaos or whatever else. And I became quite good at getting people to do things I wanted them to do. I noticed that early on that I could get people to do things without too much difficulty, you know? And I could get people to do things without ever having to kind of, speak down to them or without ever having to be you know beat your chest you know i'm in charge of you because i wasn't really in charge it just happened that i was the boss of son you know and uh i was i was just like one of them but the one thing that i could do was you know i i, I always wanted to be like that, the best worker everywhere i go you know like if, if me and you are out doing a jog like i want to beat you in the sprint home you know yeah. um if we're, if we're doing anything i just want to i just always want to give it me all you know and uh, I had a really good work ethic, you know, and then when I wasn't working, I was fairly big into my fitness the whole time. So people kind of noticed that, that I was a little bit, a little bit more determined at anything I put my mind to than most people, you know. And uh, then I, I always decided I wanted to buy my own house when I was 18 and I actually started saving that when I was about 15, maybe a hundred quid a week or something like that, you know. And then I bought the house next door to my mother's house when I was 18. And then that started me off a path. Then I had a notion, you know, like actually then when I was like 19 or 20, as soon as I finished my apprenticeship, I decided, you know what, this brick lane's not for me. And I just knocked on the head straight away. And it, it's a weird old thing. And to anybody maybe listening to this podcast here, the reason why I say it's a weird old thing, if there's anybody listening here that doesn't have a formal qualification or if they feel that they, they, uh, they failed at not getting some kind of accreditation or some kind of piece of paper. Like it's, it's crazy. Look, I'm, I'm 36 years old now. Right. Um, I started my apprenticeship when I was 16 and I finished when I was 20. So by the time I was like 21 or 22, I was no longer a bricklayer, but it's still, people are, are fixated on it. They want to put a badge on you, you know, and you know, I, the, the period of my life that I was a bricklayer, you know, in terms of my employment was a very, very, small part of it but it's just people put a badge on you you know and i see a lot of people that maybe they don't have that badge maybe they fail at something in school or they fail at something in their career and they have they feel now that they have to wear that badge that they failed at that if that makes sense you know and it just it has no relevance you know yeah i'm a big believer in failing fast and just dusting yourself off and going again that's i think where i get most lessons especially in life and business you know yeah, for sure, man. And I have a lot of that going on as well. I had a lot of that going on. I'll be happy to tell you about that now in a minute. Uh, but you know, actually, and on that topic as well, like I finished my apprenticeship, whatever, 19, 20, 21. That would have been 20 to 21 years old. And it's at that point that I believe my apprenticeship actually started. But it wasn't apprenticeship. It wasn't an apprenticeship in a specific trade. It was an apprenticeship in business. It was an apprenticeship in 
the art of business or it was an apprenticeship in the hustle you know i remember people saying to me in order to be good in business you need to have a good banker on your side you need to have a good solicitor and you need to have a good accountant and they're the three things and you know people say you really need them you know um what they don't realize is that there's one there's one role that's like you know i'd say it's superior or more important than the three of those roles and that's the role of the deal maker because if the deal maker is not there the banker has no one to lend money to the solicitor has nobody to represent and the accountant has nobody to do the books for so if you if you don't have any of those formal kind of titles you know the deal maker will always make the money the deal maker is the most important man woman in any piece of business in my opinion and joe was that so your you bought your first property you, yeah. you knocked the brick laying on the head was it at that side time you're like i need a mentor i need to build a team or properties my angle with everything so kind of the story the story as it went um i just had this fixation since i was a kid i wanted to buy a house so like hold on a minute I pay the deposit, he pays the rest of it back, and it's worth more than as time goes on. This is like, this is a no-brainer to me, you know. Um, in, many, in many instances where I'm doing certain business activities and stuff like that, I don't particularly have light bulb moments, but they seem like the logical next step. So the logical next step to me, and I'll show you, tell you the reason why it was, the logical next step to me was to start building some houses. And the reason for that was, when you were buying a house, you needed, say, 20% deposit. I think the first time I only needed 8% deposit because it was way back, they were doing a 92% mortgage. This would have been yeah, 2002. So I needed a small amount of money. So if a house was like 140 grand, like I needed 8%, did I call it 10 grand or so? And after that, I needed a 20% deposit. And that was a big obstacle for me. However, the rules in the lending game at the time were if you were building a house, you could, you could borrow 80% of the site value and 100% of the build cost. Wow. So if we just think about that for a minute, let's say I went a house for 150K and I need uh, 20%, so, so I need 30K. And bear in mind, I'm 18 years old at this stage, so 30K is a shitload of money to me. So the, the next deal, 150K, 50 for the site and 100 to build the house. So I now need 20% of the site cost which is 10 grand and i can get a hundred percent of the build cost so now i'm in it now i've found a, the logical next step for me was to continue building houses because i could get into the deal for 10 grand and also then because like i was literally doing everything on the house i'd like drive the digger to pull the bushes down to start digging the trenches you know, we'd be standing in the trench when the concrete's getting poured. We'd be stacking the blocks, pouring the concrete. I wouldn't be actually laying the blocks, building the walls, believe it or not, because it was too slow. So I would have a whole crew of brickies in. We'd be putting the timber partitions in to see it. We'd be doing everything. So what was costing somebody maybe 150 grand in the fair market value to get done, we were doing it for 110, 120 grand. Because we were just, I was just walking my nuts off. And yeah. Plus it was a novelty for a lot of my buddies who were just being you know, either started or recently qualified in their apprenticeships. So I was plenty of mates rates and stuff like that there to, to give a dig out. And they, they soon got tired of that now, to be honest, you know. Yeah. Um, but that was the logical next step. So um, bought house one, built house two, built house three. Then I decided, hold on a minute, what if I can buy a house and the site 
because it, it, the most important thing to me was how much money I needed to put into the deal to get it over the line. So, you know, when I see, you know, property going for 500 grand, a million quid, 10 million for the development site or whatever, really, I'm never, I'm never concerned specifically about the, the actual overall price in terms of, I'm, I'm always looking at what's the structure of the deal? How much does the individual have to put in? And if he has to put in X amount, where did he manage to get that? Because that's the obstacle that allows us to progress. Now, I'm just picking a number like a million quid, 10 million quid. I don't operate at that level. Pretty much every deal I do was like 200 grand, 250 thereabouts. And I just do as many of them as I can, you know. Um, but really, you know, if you look at an obstacle holding you back from getting your goal, to achieving your goal or your mission, it won't be, it'll, if you look within that obstacle, it's generally something small. So for me, it was the surplus of money. And then because I was doing so much work myself, I could, I could basically build them for below the average build cost rate. So what was happening was when I finished each house, I had more money left at the end than I had going into it. So the next one then was, can I buy a house and a site? You know, and does that structure work? And, you know, it, it kind of worked to a certain degree. So I kept that going for a while, built a few houses, and uh, that was my strategy. Um, but the problem was or was it built to rent or I kept them all. Okay. I kept well, I kept most of them. Um I probably look looking back there, it would have been a good call to sell them because I would have avoided all the potential bankruptcy that just came my way a few years later. However, my biggest lessons came in that when I had all those financial difficulties and I'm very grateful for them now because I've got them out of the way. I'm not fucking going back there, you know. Um and I don't feel the need to go back there. Every single bit of business I do was like, right, what if this goes wrong? What if this goes wrong? What if this goes wrong? And once I handle what if this goes wrong, then I look at, right, am I going to make money on it? And, and in the past, it was always like, can I make money? Can I make money? And I didn't pay attention to what if something goes wrong. And Joe, was it, was it hard at the time? A lot of people, especially when they're getting mortgages or getting a lens of money, was it hard mentally to deal with that? Or did you always see, you know what, I'm going to flip this and make the profit so it's not a problem? Uh, like you know ignorance is bliss like where I grew up in Clondalk and like none of my buddies were in any way business minded they didn't have a business um, the, the, the best that the, the best performers out of my peers growing up were people who got an apprenticeship you know and was so, so loads of lads were just on the labour they, they didn't bother working at the time they were only out of school all this sort of stuff so like the, the the fall from grace for me if I didn't succeed wasn't very high. Nobody taught any more than me if I bought five houses or ten houses or if I had ten failed deals. They, they didn't care. I wasn't really I wasn't really judged by that. And I I often say to people that I grew up in the land of opportunity. So where we grew up was, you know, at the time it was fairly rough out going, like, you know. Um like you, you, didn't have to go too far to get your head kicked in, you know, that sort of way when we were growing up. It was rough enough. But what, what I always say is it's the land of opportunity. And the reason being was because you could be whatever you want. Like lads I went to school with, they ended up getting involved in crime, going to jail, stuff like that. People didn't pass judgment on them because they were all so consumed by their own, their own uh, challenges and, and issues that they were dealing with at the time. And I, I always viewed it that if I bought a house and rented it out, well, chances are I was either renting out to one of my buddies or most likely a sister or a brother of one of my buddies, right? So if I didn't succeed at what I was doing, 
I would just go and rent a house on, on welfare from somebody like me. <laughs> so yeah. it, it was never, I, I, you know, and plus I didn't need to go out and get a 500 grand mortgage and have two brand new cars in the garden like what a lot of people needed to do in better parts of, of, of the city just to blend in. Yeah. You know, it, it, that's, that was my view. And I think, I think I was quite lucky to uh, grow up there, you know. And Joe, you, you mentioned failure. Is there any like advice you give to anyone listening when they're dealing with failure or like what it meant to you at the time? Yeah, so people think failure is final, you know, but like failure is an important part of, of growing. It's an important part of learning. Um, so, so what happened with me was that I was doing this strategy from 2001, 2002, 2003. Have a guess what happened in 2007, you know? And I was taking all the money that I made on every deal and just bring it on to the next one, bring it on to the next one, bring it on to the next one. And that's pretty much just like going on to the races and taking all your money and putting on the favor. Chances are he's going to win. And then taking all that money and putting on the next favor and just keep doing it. And one day it's not going to come in and everything's wiped out. And that's what happened with me. Uh, I had a couple of deals going, going south. You know, the biggest one was uh, paid 685 grand for a property. The bank sold it for 80 grand. They made me pay the balance back, you know. Um, other properties there bought for 230 grand, the bank sold it for 55 grand. Uh, again, I had to deal with all this sort of stuff. Plus, I had a load of uh, mortgages that were just going into arrears. So all that sort of stuff was was going on, you know. And it was uh, it was definitely challenging times for me. And you know, I, I actually I, I've got a I appeared in an RT documentary about this at the time, and I was very reluctant to do it at the time. But the reason why I done it was because I was getting the help of a couple of consultants and experts who are going to help me figure this piece out. And as I look back on that now, I'm actually quite proud to have that, to be honest. It was like seven years ago now when that, when that was made. And the one thing that you can, that sticks out to me when I look at that documentary, it pops up on my, my memories on Facebook from time to time and people ask me about it. But the one thing that, uh, that I'm proud of on that is that I, I was, there was not a, like even when I was down, the, the, the determination didn't leave me. There was no, there was no difference in the level of determination at that time, you know? And it, it did take a, a bit of time then afterwards. It actually got more stressful towards the end because I had to deal with like five or six banks. Basically the numbers were, I owed out 3 million quid and the properties were worth a million quid. So they're like, right, Joe, where's our 2 million? And I'm like, what in the name of God? How am I going to get that? I'm like, I'm a fucking bricklayer from Clondalk and like I'm 23, 24, where am I going to get two million quid, you know? And uh, this was all new to me and it was all learning and it was an interesting time. Um, but it got more stressful towards the end because when I was dealing with, I, I think would have been five banks there. Um, I won't list them off now just for the sake of anonymity for the banks, but um, I was dealing with five banks. So it was basically snowed under with all this stuff. And, you know, how we actually resolved them is another day's conversation, but we resolved one. I was like, okay, that, that, that was actually done. Then we resolved another one. But then when I only had two banks left to resolve, I started tackling the biggest ones first. So then I had two banks left to resolve and these were the smallest ones. But even the smallest bank was enough to send me over the edge and make me go bankrupt, you know? Yeah. And when it got to the end, it got more and more stressful because I'm like, all that work that I've done to resolve these issues is all in vain now if I don't get this deal over the line. And then if I don't get this deal over the line. And what actually happened was, um, I can remember the day signing the, the last piece of paperwork for the last one. And I was sitting in the key, on the keys in Dublin, Friday traffic, 
and it was like bumper to bumper and I was just floating. I was just like happy out, man. I'm like just sitting in traffic, going nowhere, Friday afternoon, hot and sweaty. And I'm like, this is great. You know, the one thing that you don't want to be doing. And over the course of maybe 48 hours, maybe a week after that, this, this is the way I kind of picture it now. It was like as if I'd been walking through fog. And when I looked back, I'm like, oh my God, look at how much, look at how foggy it is down there. I've just walked through that and I could then see clearly. And from that moment, from that moment onwards, I became a fucking machine. I did, you know, and that was it. I was like, right, let's fucking, let's get it on here now, you know, and nothing got in my way. I was literally, you know, flat out, round the clock every day, coming up with ideas, coming up with plans, coming up with different things. Most of them didn't work, but I didn't care because I'd just been through the biggest failure and still managed to survive it so it then became uh failure became my friend you know you ever you ever hear the the gordon gecko thing greed is good you know well i don't know failure is good failure is good because it lets you know who you are you know um i've got like over 200 clients that i help with their their business all tradesmen construction workers small business owners and when the when the corona came to town i'm like listen lads any fucking clown can tell you how to make money when the economy's good. Stick with me over the next few months and watch what happens. And all my guys are absolutely knocking out of the park now. You know, because Joe, so just if we spin forward to that, did you get a mentor then at that stage, or you're just doing well and I'm, you're like, well, I can be a mentor for other tradesmen? How did that come about? Uh, so I've I've always had a mentor, and like even even like right now, like so. I, I, I always hang out with people who are doing better at what I'm trying to do good at, if that makes sense. Um, so, for, for example, even as, as we speak today, right, so I've got, I've got a couple of guys that I hang out with when I'm doing training. So I've got a personal trainer. He, you know, he puts me through my paces all the time. Uh, one of my buddies is the fittest man I know, and I just, just tag along with him all the time. He's doing stuff and catch up with him. Uh, you know, I've got another buddy. He's got, like, yeah, he must have, like, 10 times more property than I have. You know, I learned stuff from him. I've got another guy who's like really good salesman. He helps me out with that. I've got guys on the IT. So I don't have one specific mentor. And the, the difficulty for me was that I, w- I would love a mentor. I would love somebody who came from my kind of background and done what I have done, you know, in the same area. And I'm sure there's lots of people out there. If there is, if there's anybody listening here, tell them to message me. I want to be his best friend, you know. The difficulty that I found was any of the guys that were really successful in the property space, number one, they were either quite reserved or secondly, they weren't as willing to embrace the social media as what I have been. So I kind of work and I take a few different different people from different areas on there. And, and I work with them. And I've just recently there in the last couple of weeks, I've agreed to hire a mindset coach. I haven't started with him just yet. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there, there would be some good stuff coming out. And that's just purely to help me with my mindset. And people would say, they would already believe that I've got a good mindset. But maybe I have, but I want a world-class one. You know, I want to okay. see, you know, is there a better way out there? So um, I, I always reach out to people who are doing better at me at what I'm trying to do. And I... I just ring and say, I love what you're doing. Can, you, can I ask you a question? And Really, people will tell you no, to be honest, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you're always sharpening your tools. It's funny, it's funny you say that, Joe. I, I was so skeptical at first um, of hiring a coach 
And I never forget the first meeting I had with them. Um, and I sat down with them and I thought I was going in. I was like, I don't know whether I need this or not. Here's the numbers or here's the figures. And he said, everyone else in the group is doing double what you're doing. Then you're and in the it right put place. me in my tracks and I was like, fuck. Um, and I've been with them for the last three years and we've, we've hit the figures we wanted to hit. The business has grown. But like even you mentioned about the fitness and health and the mindset side of things. Like I'm training for an Ironman next year and I've hired a coach for that. Yeah. The biggest thing for me, Joe, is having someone to keep me accountable to. Yeah, it's a very important thing. Um, like the one thing that I've learned throughout, and then I'll explain to you how I got into the coaching space now in a few minutes, but the one thing that I've learned in the couple of years that I've been in this coaching, um, coaching slash mentorship slash support slash accountability, whatever term you want to put, once I've been in this space is that intelligence has like fuck all got to do with it. Like, I don't care, you know, give me a guy that's as thick as two planks and he turns up every day. I'll, 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 make, I'll get good results with him, you know. But give me a guy that's actually brilliant and is not bothered and willing to put in the effort, you know, and doesn't like being held accountable to. You know, it doesn't make a difference how, how skilled he is. I just find that it's, it's unfortunate for people to have that kind of attitude, but the accountability is a, is a big, big thing for, for me and for everyone else, you know. And Joe, when you mention that, so... Were you just like Jesus? I'm doing well now. I can. There's guys coming to me, and you're just like I'm going to open this up as a trade and show or be a mentor. How did that come about? Yeah. So, so what happened was right. Um, I'll, I'll give you maybe like a little summary. So, I started off. We went from kind of being an apprenticeship to just doing a little bit of building work and building a couple of houses. And I stopped just a little bit before the height of the market in 2007. And it's just, it just didn't make sense to me how people could pay the amount of money they were paying for buildings. So I just stopped and it crumbled either way then. And, and I didn't know, I just, I was like, how can he pay that amount of money for that property when I'm the one that's doing all the fucking work and I'm not going to make enough money to keep me happy on this, you know? Yeah. So uh, I stopped that and I set up a business. And the business was called insuranceworks.ie and pretty quickly we became like the, the, the best insurance claim and repair company, insurance claim repair company in the country. Now we only really done Dublin and the kind of the Leinster area, but over, within the space of like 12 months, we were the, we were the guys, like people knew us, you know? And uh, so I just knuckled down and flat out there. But in between all that, I had my bankruptcy stuff that in the end I, I, I didn't need to go bankrupt, but you know, um, whether that was luck or whether that was like determination, whatever, stubbornness, yeah. Um, and I sorted the stuff and as soon as I started that, I was still tipping away buying a property here or there because then the property prices are like quartered or half or whatever way you want to look at it from, from the height of it. So eventually like the, the, the building company was doing about a million quid's worth of work every year, which is small for, for the construction space, but it was big for the small little operation that we were, were running, you know? And then the properties, the, the money getting made from the property was outweighing the money getting made in the construction company. So I'm like, right, time for me to leave this building company now. And look, I, I dragged out leaving for two years. I should have left it two years beforehand. But people were saying to me, you're not sad leaving the company and all that. I'm like, no, I set it up to do something and I've done it and now I'm finished and I'm going off to the next one. And I, I pretty much lived by the, the notion that I learned from my dad, like never tell anyone your business, keep your cards close to your chest, whatever you say, say nothing. And 
that was the way I, I done my business. You know, people seen the vans, people knew Joe, people had wave, people were only happy to ask you, how are you doing? Because they, they just, they knew, they knew there was a little bit of magic about my business. You know, the other guys in the construction space, you know, they knew that I was doing something a little bit differently and, they, and then a lot of people in the area knew that I owned a lot of properties around and stuff like that. So there was always a bit of intrigue in my community about me and because I just kind of kept myself to myself business-wise, there was never any, nobody knew the inside track, you know. So eventually, when I decided, right, that's it, I'm out. Sure, everybody I spoke to then, I just openly spoke to about my business that I'd left and I told them what things we'd done and I'd be like, whoa, are you doing that? Why don't you do that? Why don't you stop doing it that way and do it this way, you know? And these were just people that I had already knew, but I purposely never spoke to them about business because I, I operated on the basis of whatever you say, say nothing, you know? Mm. And all of a sudden, like, people were ringing me, asking me questions all the time. And, you know, it became a lot more open. And then I just started talking on Facebook one day, made a Facebook live video. Um, what actually happened was um, I said, you know, if I could take, if I could take a couple of people so I'd gone from basically being, starting from nothing to becoming a millionaire in the boom, to becoming almost bankrupt, to being worth a couple of million after that then in a relatively short space of time. And I was thinking, if I could just take a couple of people who have gone through what I've, who have the same, and just, if, I, if they just do what I said, they get the same results, you know? Mm -hmm. So these things were going around in my head. Um, but I, I became a, a big fan of Grant Cardone. Do you know Grant Cardone? Yeah, I do, I know. Oh, look, yeah. he's, he's, he's my hero, right? Mm -hmm. So Grant Cardone said that he's a, he announced he's having the 10X Growth Conference, right? So that turned into a big monster event. And the very first one was on, it was on in Miami, so whatever, four years ago now at this stage. And I'm like, right, I'm going to that. And I'm like, if I'm going, I'm not going to be any, any old general admission Egypt. I'm, I'm sitting in the front row and I'm not going to go and sit in the front row and have no money in my pocket. And, you know, I'm going to, and this is me dreaming, talking to myself. I was, I was going to fly first class. Grant has a lovely Rolls Royce. I'm going to get Rolls Royce to take me to the airport. I'm going, to, I'm going to arrive there the same way Grant arrives there. That was my plan, you know? So I've done the numbers and I was like 25 grand of a trip or 30 grand of a trip or something like that. And then I'm like, right, hold on a minute, Joe. Don't start thinking you're barely big balls here now. You have to been through the mill. You're only a couple of years out of all that nonsense and uh, you're making a few quid. So don't start squandering it now because, you know, so I says, right, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend all that money. But the deal is I have to make that money from somewhere new from now until the day that arrives. So on the 27th, 28th or 29th of December, I was on holidays for the new year and I just made a Facebook live video saying I've got a little announcement. Um, and I didn't even say what it was, but I've got an announcement about my business. And because people were always wanting to know what my, the inside track of my business, things just went, whew. I remember making the video, putting the phone down, sitting on the beach, came back to the apartment then a few hours later, just checked the phone, like a hundred friend requests, thousands, like loads of, about 50 friend requests and loads of messages. I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? This is, this is mad stuff here, right? So then for, for a couple of days while I was on holiday, I started making a video each day and it really blew up. So basically I established that there was a need for what I'd done. And that was in December and the, the Grow Conference was in March. I was actually over there for Paddy's Day. And I'd made 40,000 euros from December to March. And I basically spent most of it on the trip anyways, you know. Um, but I'd, I'd learned the notion of making a commitment to, you know, what, if you want a Ferrari, go and buy a Ferrari, but just don't touch your savings, don't touch your existing business. Let's, you know, let's go into the back of your brain here and find out what we need to do to, 
to get that Ferrari, you know. Um, and I was just chatting away and different, different to, on, on camera and attracting all this attention. And then I put a little program together. Uh, it was an absolute disaster, to be honest, the program. And then I figured out how to refine it. And we're refining it ever since. And it just, it was the logical next step. It's not that I just decided to, to go out and do one specific thing. I was constantly refining and, and that to me was the logical next step. And today we've got, uh, we've got about, uh, I can tell you now exactly, I think we've got 250 clients on that. Uh, Are they paying monthly subscriptions, Joe? It's a six monthly, it's a six monthly, uh, yeah, I've got 233 clients. Um, they pay, uh, it's a six monthly program. So they come in and we, we turn our life around for them in six months, you know. And I used to say to people, this is turning our business around. But like, what you need to understand, like for, for small business owners, micro enterprises and self-employed people, your business is your life. So if you could turn people's business around, you're actually turning their life around. You see the guys and they have a nicer car and they're going on holidays and money's free and freeing up for them a little bit. And, you know, and they're telling you, like, these are grown men telling you, like, oh my God, you know, a guy messed with me there the other day. 12 years, he's with me now about eight weeks and he's like, yeah, I'm 12 years in business and this is the best I've ever done, you know, after eight weeks. And that's, that to me is, is, as, is worth as much as the, as the money, if I be, be very honest with yourself there, you know, when you're getting stuff like that. You hear people saying nonsense that say, oh, that's worth more than money. It's fucking not worth more than money because if I don't get the money, I can't feed my family. But that to me is, is, is worth as much as the money because I, I can use the, the experience that I've created for that guy and the result I've created for that guy. I can use that to create more money and more success for or more people like him, you know? Absolutely. And Joe, if, if there's a tradesman listening, or maybe it's just an SME or a sons who self-employed listening to this, or maybe thinking their own thing, is there a, an error you see from people, like a small little gem you could give that like people don't get right? Um, yeah, people aren't focused. So my, my system is, is quite simple, right? So let's say Tom, Tom rocks into Joe's office and he, like, I, I think it's very, very simple, right? Um, Tim, uh, Tom comes into Joe's office and uh, he says, Joe, I want to be, be a millionaire. Okay, good stuff, man. Maybe I can't help you, right? But I can help you get to this point because I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to teach people to do things that you haven't done yourself. And that's why I'm very refined about who I take on as a client, right? So here's the rules, Tom. We need to get you to the point where you can make 500 euros profit per day. And if we can get you to do that 20 days within the month, that's 10 grand in the month. And if we can get you to that 12 times in the year, that's 120 grand in the year. And you might say, so sometimes people, they've got, that bit, they've got their ego with them. Like, sure, at that rate, I'd lose money. I'm like, no, 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 you're not. 500 euros clear profit per day. You know, and that's where we start. And what happens is, so that guy, I just gave the example there. He's been with me like six or eight weeks now. And we, it took us a few weeks to get him to the point where we could make him 500 a day consistently so really it really the target is 10 grand a month i used to say to people i want you to make 10 grand a month and people couldn't get their head around it because it was too big a number i'll say okay well let's make 500 quid a day and people well hold on a minute someday i have made it in the past or i got close to it a few times so 500 a day equals 10 grand a month but 500 a day is a little bit more believable you know they feel it's a bit more achievable so we go with that and I'm like, we'll, we'll discuss a little plan. What can we do to get 500 a day? And okay. So, you know, tomorrow morning, I want you to have made 250 quid by one o'clock. And then from one o'clock to six o'clock, you have to make another 250. And the lads generally throw a wobbler and say, I can't do that. They can do it. 
but they don't feel confident to do it consistently. And that's the process, 500 days. And we've got all these little tools that we give them to help them do that. And in most instances, we're not giving them more to do, but we're actually taking away what they're already doing. We get them to do less things. Like I'm, I'm very, very specific in what I do. Like, there's nobody can compete with me in my space for what I do because they just can't. And why is that? Because my space is very, very narrow and very, very defined. So what do I do? I take tradesmen, small traders, and small business owners in, in the construction-related trade, and I show them how to make 500 euros per day. That's it. I'm not doing anything else. I'm not doing other stuff, right? Then when they get there consistently, so that's, that's my business. My other program is I teach them how to buy property. So when they get to the point where they're making their 500 a day, we then take that money, and the term is you use your business as a vehicle for wealth creation. So we take that money, and we put it into some sort of 120 that you get in the year. Then you put, the minute you put it into a deal, it's, it's became 160. And that 160 of value now is giving you maybe 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 quid a month for the rest of your life. And then we go back and we start again. We start again, you know. And even on the property front, I'm very specific about what I do. I buy properties in Tallet, Clondalk, and Ballyferma, Finglas, Blanchestown, a couple of places, that kind of area. I bought them for less than 200 grand and I rent them back to people from the area on HAP or a long-term lease to the council. I'm not buying sites to build houses. I'm not buying hotels. I'm not buying shopping centers. I'm not buying shops. And I'd love to do all that. But when I just stick to what I'm doing, nobody can come near me because I've got such a good reputation in that space. I've got such level of experience in that space. I've done it literally dozens and dozens of times and I've helped hundreds of people. So when you become hyper-focused, very difficult for somebody to compete with you and that's why i say to people like if you're going to do one thing if you're going to if you want to get success start doing less less quantity of things and start doing more of what you're actually doing start doing more of, of one or two things and joe that hyper focus it's brilliant getting all this from you and anyone listening i'm sure like did you learn that from a book did you was it grant cardone or was it just going because I know as entrepreneurs, especially myself, I can get an idea pops into my head in the morning. Jeez, that could be good. I could make a few quid off that. Should I do that? I know we can get pulled left, right, and center. So just where did that focus or how did you get that discipline? Um, so I'll, I'll tell you what I got from Grant Cardone, right? So, like, again, bear in mind, there wasn't very many really motivated people. There wasn't any motivated people around my environment growing up, right? So you know, as I came from kind of like, you know, 20 into my, from 20 years old into, into my 30s or whatever else, and I had this big block in the middle where I deal with all that bankruptcy stuff. People used to ask me, like, why do you work so much? Like, you've got, you know, in their eyes, I've made it. In my, in my eyes, even right now today, <clears throat> I'm barely even starting. I think I'm grossly underperforming. But they would ask me, like, why do, you, why do you do that so much, you know? And what I wasn't, at the time was, I didn't respect my uniqueness because I thought I was all like them. I was just, but I'm not, I was completely different. And then when I connected with Grant Cardone, and I, I just seen this one sign, success is your duty, obligation, and responsibility. And that was just like, that was all I needed to see. Just that one sign, that just showed me, that is it, you know. Like, why do we go after success? Because it's, you know, I believe a lot of Irish people are, you know, even like, I, I chat to people and there's a lot of people don't like me, and that's fine, right? But really why they don't like me is because they, 
they feel intimidated by being around somebody who's so ambitious. Mm. That's that's my belief, you know. Um, you hear people saying, you know, all Irish people are begrudgers and all that. I don't actually think they are begrudgers as much, anyway, near as much as I believe that they are they are intimidated by um, ambition. They don't know what it's like. You know, I'm, like, I'm on a mission to make 100 million quid. No problem saying it to you. Like that's, yeah. that's, and, and anything less will be failure and anything more will be part of my next plan. And, but that's, that's what I'm at. And I'm like not apologetic or anything about it. But to answer your question there <clears throat> about focus, I just learned that as I'm going on, the less number of things I do, the better I am at what I am doing. And, you know, just the more focused you can be, it gets sucked. No, a lot of your listeners will be saying, oh, yeah, look, Joe's dead right here. And look, obviously, I don't know your, your, all your listeners, right? I know a few of them. But, oh, Joe's dead right about focus. Like, I'm, I'm dead focused. Like, look, if you're saying to yourself, you're dead focused, right? I'm telling you here and now, chances are you're not. Yeah. Right? You're not. And even sometimes, like, you know, we got, we, we, you, you see, we almost broke the internet there last week, the last couple of weeks with, uh, with all that media attention we got. I'm like, oh my God, I need to focus. So we were like getting called by, by newspapers and radio stations, all sorts of, for, 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 for something that, that went on there. And uh, I'm like, I need to focus. Like, this is driving me mad. I got like two days work done in a whole week. And normally I get 10 days work done in a week, you know? But I'm like, this focus is just, you know, I have to stop and you have to just go back in. So, um, and, and I still believe I should probably focus even more. Like I know for an absolute fact that I am losing money on my property business by playing around with the Facebook business, the mentorship and the, the social media. But I also know that I'm losing money on the mentorship by focusing on the property. Yeah. So however, I'm willing to trade that off because, you know, people in the space, they know who I am and, they wouldn't know me without that. And I, <clears throat> I use my, my, uh, my social media platforms to attract deals, investors, clients, and all that sort of stuff. So that's a trade-off that I'm willing to make, you know? Yeah. Um, but for anybody who thinks they're focused, work on the basis that you're not focused. You know, you'd be, you'd be chatting to people and you say, right, 95%, so if I was to say to you, 95% of people won't succeed, right? In your head, you're going to be like, I oh, know, I'm in the 5%, right? But if you say to yourself, fuck, he's right. I'm actually in that 95%. And, and you're trying to make the journey to get into the 5%. That's, that's where the real magic is and that where lads just say, no, no. Oh, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me. I'm, all, I'm in that 5%. I'm in that small group. That's the worst thing you can say. You know, Act like you want to be in the group and you're not there. And that will that make you level up, you know? Yeah. Uh, Joe, I'm, co- I'm conscious of time, but just a couple of things um, we ask some of our guests is do you, when you look back at your life and business so far and where you're at, do you have any regrets or what's your opinion on regrets? Yeah, and actually to, to flick back there, not, not a regret as something, but not, not a regret as such, but something that I would have done differently. Like when I was making money, I just kept working. And really, I, th- that was when I should have been educating myself. I thought that, the fact that I was, you know, making a few quid at certain parts of business or investment, that was enough for me to keep going. And I was just keeping my mouth shut. I wasn't telling anybody. It was at that time that I should have built my network more and more. I should have hired mentors at that point. Um, because 
like for example in, in our in our in our property business like we would have 10 deals going on at any one time whereas in the past i had one deal going on and i finished and i started another one then i had another one whereas we've got 10 probably more going on at any given time like to the point where if one doesn't go through we don't care because we've got two more ready to, to come in you know and that that was just my own mental capacity to deal with these things but you learn them from talking to other people that's playing a bigger game than yourself so go out hire somebody make friends with somebody talk to somebody stalk somebody connect with somebody who was already doing who who has already done or is already yeah who has already done what you're trying to do yeah that's that's one thing i didn't do at the start you know and Joe, uh, last couple of questions here. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I, I always say to people that I believe everybody has a superpower, right? And <clears throat> I, I, I'll tell you what I believe, and this is my, my own humble opinion. My superpower is I can look at any small business and within five minutes, I can generally tell what the problem is with the business. Like, it's just, I don't know how I can do it. I can just look at it. I was watching uh, Russell Brunson, who connected with, who, who built ClickFunnels, you know, and he was talking and he said that the one thing he was really good at is he could look at a product and know how to position it on the internet to make people want, be able, want to buy it. And I believe my superheroes, I can look at a small business and I just know what's going wrong after talking to the owner for five minutes, you know. The other superpower I believe is that I can learn and take knowledge and skills and life advice from the most unlikely situations, you know? And the one piece of advice that sticks in my head all the time is like years ago, the very first race I ever ran, it was 2008 or 2010. It was in the Phoenix park. And actually, no, sorry, that was a different guy, wasn't it? Yeah, sorry. It was before an Ironman, believe it or not, this guy, right? And uh, this guy says to me, uh, he says to me, um, there's people out there who's fitter than you who won't finish this race today. And I was like, what, what does that mean? Because I was starting off, and obviously, no matter how fit you are, when you go to the Ironman track, it's just the first one you do, you're going to be smoked by some of the athletes out there, you know, that, that have been at it a long time. But I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I was nervous enough because I wasn't that fit. He, he said, um, there's guys out there who are training harder than you, who are better than you, who are capable of more than you, and they won't finish this race today because they'll fall off the bike, they'll get a punch, or they'll snap their goggles. Anything can go wrong, he said, and you just need to keep going at that. I'm like, oh, that's fucking genius, man, you know? So that's kind of shaped my thinking about intelligence is nowhere, uh, nowhere near as important as people think it is. It's the ability to just keep going on and turn up every day, turn up no matter what, that will basically get you to where you want to be over somebody who's more qualified or more educated than yourself or more capable than yourself you know that always sticks in my mind you know and it's interesting you say that joe when it comes down to like i've been to i've done a few triathlons now and uh been to a good few races and it's exactly what you see you see the most ripped person man or woman shredded best shape of their life and you see someone jog by them overweight but they've got the mentality and just keep going and they've got the engine and as you say you can relate that to life and business so much and i suppose joe uh, just last couple of things do you have any uh book recommendations or podcasts or anything that's helped you along the way uh so people always say to me like do you have any book recommendations right and i'm like well depends on where you're at right now will depend on what 
book you should read. And I think we need to be very careful about that because, you know, so for example, like a, a big part of me was my online marketing. I, I had no fucking clue what I was doing. I was wasting money with people. And, you know, I, I kind of dived into that deeply for a while. And then if I've got something else going on, but I think a good starting point for, for anybody would be to read uh, Grant Cardone's book, Be Obsessed or Be Average. Be Obsessed or Be Average. And, you know, that's just a book title. And to be honest, if you just accept, if you just embrace that book title um, <clears throat> into your life. So just there, yesterday, actually, or the day before, I was just had a, a Grant Cardone interview on, on, uh, on YouTube as, as I was having me lunch. And Linda was there. And he said, look, man, he sees Grant is talking to the guy next to him. He's like, look, man, you need to be obsessed or be average, right? And uh, I just says to Linda, do you believe in that? And it's not even that she answered me, just the look she gave me, like, you know, she's like, yeah, you know, like, oh, I'm fucking 100% obsessed with what, what I'm at, you know, because if I'm not, I know I'll be average. So that's a good one. Or the, uh, a book called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, Willink, everybody knows Jocko, he's a big name on Instagram and all that nowadays, but if you just even listen to those, the titles of those two names, Be Obsessed or Be Average, and Extreme Ownership. So Extreme Ownership basically means take responsibility for everything, as in like everything. And if you do that, the world will be a completely different place for you um, than if you're willing to point the finger. And we're all willing to point the finger at certain things in our life, you know? And the, the less times we point a finger and the more we take responsibility for stuff that's even beyond our control, the better, the better chance you have of succeeding, in my opinion, you know? Yeah, 100%. And listen, Joe, it's been brilliant and it's flown by. I'm sure it could keep you here for another hour. Where can people find your Stay in Touch with you? Uh, you can just catch me on any of the social media platforms, just Joe Doyle Entrepreneur. If, if your listeners, I've got... Um, I've got loads of different training packages and different things like that, right? So I've put something there, something small together. So if your listeners want to message me and just message me with Tom Dalton or make it happen, or if they just message me Tom Dalton podcast, right? I'll send them a free gift and uh, there's a couple of hours business training that for them. And I'm happy to do that uh, to support you, Tom, and to support your listeners because, you know, I, I respect the work you do. Like if people aren't listening to you today, and they're not listening to people like you. They're listening to bullshit on the radio while they're either going for a jog or they're listening to music that's not going to improve their life or financial position while they're driving down the road or anything like that. So, you know, maximum respect to yourself um, and, and people that are doing what you're doing out there having to go because, you know, the work that you're doing is, it, it will impact people's lives, you know? Yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate you, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure and, uh, like, I, I'm going to say wish you the best going forward, but I, I know you're going to only demand the best from yourself. That, that, I'll take that as a compliment, you know. Okay. Actually, let me say there, Facebook is the best platform to catch me. Facebook's okay. the best one to catch me um, on there, but you didn't catch me any, anywhere. I'm, I'm the proud owner of the first one and a half pages of Google with my name, and it took me ages to get there, and it's, that's, why, that's one of my achievements. Just putting Joe Doyle and pretty much every one of the first results is, is a method for you to contact me or connect with me you know but hey uh, this is tom it's been amazing appreciate the opportunity here today and uh, i'll see you at the top cheers joe